The Apostle Paul, in his writings, used a lot of military terms. He used a lot of military terms and references and illustrations in those writings. Perhaps the most recognizable or the first one that comes to mind is when he talked in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, where he talked about putting on the full armor of God. In that text, he talked about the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. He talked about the helmet of salvation. And he talked about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He used military terms that people were familiar with or would be familiar with. He did this a lot in his writing. He wrote, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 6, about the weapons of our warfare. He talked in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18 about waging the good warfare. And he would write in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, you must therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Jesus, I'm sorry, Paul would often use military terminology because this was something that those who were subjugated by Rome would certainly understand and many would in the first century, but he not only used military terms, the Apostle Paul would also use nautical terms. The Apostle Paul logged a lot of days at sea. He logged a lot of travel miles on the water. During his three missionary journeys, he spent a lot of time aboard ships. For example, one reference that I looked up as to how many miles and how much time the Apostle Paul spent on a ship during his missionary journeys, one reference, one resource, actually figured adding together the whole biblical account that the Apostle Paul traveled approximately 6,800 miles on the water during his life. And approximately 111 days spent on board a ship. That's three months and three weeks during his entire lifetime, if you figure this all out. Somebody had a lot more time than I do and a lot more resources, but anyway, they figured this out, right? When you put all that together, that's nearly 7,000 miles and four months at sea on board a ship over the course of his lifetime. Just for reference sake, the pilgrims left Plymouth, England, and they landed in Massachusetts, and that journey took them 66 days, just over two months, and was approximately 2,750 miles. 66 days for the pilgrims, 2,750 miles. When you do the math, that means that the Apostle Paul, if this reference is correct, anywhere near correct, that the Apostle Paul in his lifetime spent close to twice as long at sea as the pilgrims did, and nearly two and a half times the mileage at sea that the pilgrims did. Paul spent a lot of time on board a ship. Paul knew his nautical terms. 
according to 2 Corinthians 11, 25 through 26, Paul says, I was shipwrecked three times. And he spent a night and a day in peril in the open sea as a result of one of these shipwrecks. And when he writes there in 2 Corinthians that he was shipwrecked three times, that does not count the big fourth one that we see in Acts 27 because when he wrote to the Corinthians, that took place sometime around the events of Acts 20. He said, I was shipwrecked three times. In Acts 27, we'll see yet a fourth shipwreck that the Apostle Paul, I don't know if I'd want to travel at sea with him, would you? <laughs> Four shipwrecks, right? He spent a lot of time at sea. He spent a lot of time around sailors. He spent a lot of time during those voyage voyages where he would certainly pick up some of this nautical terminology. And so not only did he use military terms in his writing, but he would often use nautical terminology as well. For example, to illustrate, he says in 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20, he talks about those who have what? Shipwrecked their faith. Another one of his terms that we're going to talk about at length tonight was pointed out to me in an article that Brother Dan Jenkins wrote some time ago. And it serves as a centerpiece for tonight's lesson. And Dan Jenkins' article was entitled, Do Not Lower the Sail. And he began with this. The Apostle Paul spent many days aboard ships throughout his life. He understood nautical terms and he used one of them three times in the Bible. The Greek word for this nautical term is hupostello, and it is here in English H-U-P-O-S-T-E-L-L-O. This is a Greek term, Greek word, this nautical term hupostello. Paul used it three times. And it refers to what happened whenever the captain of the ship sensed troubled waters ahead. It was used to describe what happened when he ordered his sailors to lower the sails to avoid what lay ahead. Hupostello means lower the sails in order to avoid the trouble ahead. And so the title of his article was, Do Not Lower the Sails. Brother Jenkins. So we're going to look tonight at the three times Paul used that term and see how he would take a term that means do not lower the sails in order to avoid trouble, and he used it as an illustration of how we as Christians are to live our lives. Please open with me tonight to the first occurrence of that term, the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and while you're turning there, I will also let you know that Vine's Expository Dictionary, Vine's Greek-English Dictionary, defines that word hupostello in the following way. The primary meaning of hupostello is to draw back, to let down, or to lower. To draw back, to let down, or to lower. That is its primary meaning. According to Vines, there is a secondary meaning of this word hupostello. And the secondary meaning is to withdraw one's self, to be timid, or to shrink back. You can see the connection. Primary meaning, to 
draw back or let down, like letting down the sails, lowering them. Secondary meaning, very similar, to withdraw one's self, to be timid or to shrink back. Vines says it is used of those who from timidity hesitate to discuss and defend what they believe. This term hupostello means to hesitate because I'm too timid to discuss and defend what I believe, number one. Number two, it means to be unwilling to utter because of fear. And number three, it means to shrink back from declaring. It means to conceal, to draw back. You can see how this relates to SOS in 2019, can't you? So let us take a look at this word hupostello. Paul used this term for lowering the sail twice in Acts 20. Incidentally, right in the middle of one of his sailing trips, he used this term that meant to lower the sail. He used it as a simple, effective, everyday illustration that those people listening, they would know. It was effective because they would know, they would understand the term, it was all around them. Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 13, reads as follows. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for he had given orders intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to, to Mytilene. We sailed from there and the next day came opposite Chios. Following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Tregilium. The next day we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. So we see Paul's right in the middle of a sailing trip, around these sailors. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. He's going to have a meeting with the Ephesian elders. Now, if you know anything about, or you've seen a map, Ephesus is right near the coast. And so these people would be very familiar with ships coming and going and living on the coast. They would be familiar with a term like the one that we are discussing, meaning let down the sail. Verse 18, and when these elders had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. I want you to stop right there just before we get to our term. Paul talks to these elders there and he says, I want you to remember the time that I spent with you. I want you to remember how difficult that time was. And if you will recall, you will remember that those three years were filled with trials. They were filled with trouble while Paul was in Ephesus. They were filled with adversity. And by the way, we know that it was three years. And we know those three years were filled with tears and trials because the Apostle Paul would tell us that right in verse 31 of chapter 20. He said, I labored among you for three years with tears, day and night. Think about some of the things he endured during that time. According to Acts 19, 8 and 9, he was run out of the synagogue for preaching the word. They ran him out of the synagogue, had to go next door to the school of Tyrannus. Then in Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20, there's the incident with the Jewish exorcists, and there's a big blow up over that, all kinds of trouble more. And finally, in verses 23 through 40 of Acts 19, there was a great commotion. There was a citywide riot over Paul because his preaching caused a problem 
with the silversmiths of Diana. And so there was, the Bible says, a great commotion. So those three years that he had spent in Ephesus were just full of trouble and trial and, and issues and problems and adversity and rebellion and, and antagonism and all of this stuff. And in all of those situations over that three years, listen to me, the Apostle Paul could have drawn back. He could have shrunk back. He could have lowered the sail and toned it down, but he didn't. Instead, what did he do? Verse 20 of Acts chapter 20. After he reminds them of the three years, he says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. He said, I kept back nothing. You know what that term is? Hupostello. When he says, I kept back nothing, what he's saying is, I didn't shrink back. I didn't tone it down. I didn't draw back because I was timid, because there was too much resistance. Paul stayed the course. Some versions of the Bible of Acts chapter 20 and verse 20 will say, I did not shrink back from declaring. I did not avoid proclaiming. I did not hold back from proclaiming. Hupostello. I didn't lower the sail when the storm hit. I didn't draw back in fear. When troubled water lay ahead, the Apostle Paul did not draw back. He did not back down. He did not get timid. He did not hesitate. He did not withdraw himself or shrink back from declaring the whole truth. The Apostle Paul never once lowered the sails. And that is the term he uses in verse 20. He said, I kept back nothing, but I proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. It didn't matter if it was the Jews who ran him out of the synagogue like we just referenced in Acts 19. It didn't matter if it was the Gentiles who believed in Diana, the silversmiths. It didn't matter if it was Jew or Gentile alike. Paul was not going to lower the sails. In fact, he says that in verse 21. He says, I testified to Jews and also to Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. When it came to the word of God, he was not going to draw it down or tone it down. As he goes on in this chapter, you know what else he says? He said he was going to continue to sail headlong into troubled waters. He was going to continue without backing down or backing away from or being ashamed of God's truth. He was not going to lower the sails in the face of the storms that he saw on the horizon. Look at verses 22 through 26. He says this. He says, see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Paul says, there's a messy storm on the horizon, and I know it's coming. I can see it. So he said, I'm going to lower the sails and go around it and conquer. No, it's not what he said. Look what he said. He said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Why could he say he was innocent of the blood of all men? Verse 26. Well, he answers that in verse 27. Look what he says. 
Here's why. For I have not shunned, there's our second occurrence of Hupostello. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I have not shunned, I have not drawn back from, I have not shrunk back from declaring to you. I have not lowered the sails in the face of all this adversity. I have not become timid in declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He says, that's why I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Dan Jenkins, our brother, goes on to say of the usage of that word in verse 27, Hupostello, he says, this second use of the word described the heart of this great apostle and preceded his admonition to the Ephesian elders to shepherd the Lord's church and protect them from false teachers, even if the teachers were part of that congregation or the eldership. This very word, Hupostello, used as it is here in verse 27, comes right before Paul's talking to the elders and saying, look, amongst you there's some that are going to rise up to draw away disciples after themselves. Follow along, verses 28 to 32. He said, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves. Men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul would not draw back even if it was telling the Ephesian elders, the elders of that church that he loved and that he had worked with for three years, he would not draw back even when it came to standing before them and saying, look, even from among your own selves, and that may have meant the congregation, it may have meant the eldership, there's divided opinion on that, but from within their group, whether it's the congregation or the eldership itself, Paul said, there's people that are going to rise up and they're going to try to get followers for, them own self, for their own selves. It's hard to stand to an eldership and say something like that. But Paul didn't lower the sails because the truth was too important. Brother Jenkins said, when false teachers threatened the church, Paul did not shrink or lower the sails. Imagine the impact there would be on congregations all over our land if all elders refused to lower the sails, even though such actions would mean that they would have to go through some troubled waters. Excellent point. If when the leaderships in every one of our congregations, the elders were in those congregations that have them, or the men who lead those congregations who don't have elders, if every congregation of the Lord's church had a leadership that would say, you know what? I know it's going to cause some problems if we stand up for the truth in this area. But we're not shrinking back from the truth. We're not lowering the sails. Yeah, we can see the storm that's coming, but we're going to do this the way God said to do it. Wouldn't that be wonderful? To lower the sails means to surrender to the storm. And when you surrender to the storm, you lose all hope. Same thing they did in the physical storm in Acts 27, 17 through 20. They lowered the sails and they were without hope. They, those sailors lost hope. No church leadership can afford to draw back, shrink back, back down, or become timid. Cannot afford to hesitate, withdraw, compromise, or lower the sail when the storm is all around the congregation. They must stand up and navigate through them. Because when a congregation lowers the sails, 
and they surrender to culture or they surrender to anything other than the truth of the word of God, what happens when the sails come down? They're sitting duck. They're dead in the water is, is the way that we would put it. And eventually, to lower the sails, not make any forward progress, and just give up, means something akin to what I read from this website, PacificRimBible.com. Listen, please. They said, for a naval vessel at sea, there's a reason for lowering all sails. Even in a storm, some sails are left up for propulsion to provide steerage for the ship, even in a storm. So what's the meaning behind a slackening in the course due to the lowering of all sails? There is one analogy in military terminology to this, and it is called striking the sails. When two combat vessels were fighting each other at sea, and one had dominated the other to the place of surrender, the ship that surrendered would strike its sails. That is, they would cut them down or lower them to let the other ship know that they had given up and they no longer were willing to fight. Hupostello meant to strike the sails, to give up, to withdraw from combat, to retreat, to withdraw from the battle, to strike the sails of faith, to give up the battle. Now the big mistake here, along with all the others, is an incomplete understanding of the enemy. Think about this. The ship that surrenders think that their enemy is somehow bound by the rules of fair play. They think the enemy will treat them as they would have treated the enemy. But that's the farthest thing from the truth. When the enemy plans, what the enemy plans on doing is torturing them when they get them. The enemy plans to make sport of them. The enemy means to inflict on them the greatest amount of pain they can while still keeping them alive. For lowering the sails of faith is not only defeat, but destruction for the soul. See the illustration how it works? When a congregation lowers the sails because it would be troublesome for them to stand up for the truth, it might cause some storm, it might cause some issues. And so when they strike the sails and they surrender to Satan, listen, Satan has one purpose, and that is to destroy Christians and to destroy their congregations. And he's not going to play nice. He's not bound by the Geneva Convention. If we strike the sails, any congregation strikes the sails and they surrender and they compromise the truth and Satan winds his way in and he takes over, he's not just out to destroy you. He is out to destroy you slowly, painfully, inch by inch to have fun with you while he makes sport of you. And that's what happens when you strike the sails to the enemy. The Apostle Paul, not even for a moment, would shrink back or compromise or tone down the truth to avoid a storm. And you know what? It didn't matter the situation. It didn't matter the location. And it didn't matter the congregation. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it even if it was a fellow preacher. The Apostle Paul would even correct a fellow preacher if a fellow preacher needed correcting. The Apostle Paul would even correct another apostle. He would not lower the sails and he would not compromise. For example, 
Brother Jenkins says, in Galatians 2.12, Paul used this term, hufostello, a third time. Paul's third usage of the term is in Galatians 2.12, where he describes what Peter did because of racial prejudice in the church. On one occasion, Peter associated freely with Gentile Christians. But when Jewish brethren arrived, Peter withdrew himself. Peter what? Peter hupostello. Peter lowered the sails. Peter compromised rather than cause a problem. Peter backed down, shrank back from the truth. He backed away from it. He struck the sails. He gave up. He withdrew himself, fearing them who were of the circumcision. The words withdrew himself in Galatians 2.12 are from this same Greek word, Peter lowered the sails rather than navigating and conquer, conquering the troubled waters which the truth would have forced him to travel through. Paul used the term three times. There's one more occurrence or one more text that has an occurrence of this term in it. It is the fourth and final occurrence of this Greek word in the New Testament scriptures. It's in the book of Hebrews. Now, if you're one of those people that believes that Hebrews was written by the Apostle Paul, then he used the term four times because it's in Hebrews 10. And if you're one of those people that don't believe the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, then Paul only used it three times and the writer of Hebrews used it once. But either way, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. In this passage, Hebrews chapter 10, Paul has talked about this great hope that we have and this great assurance that we have in Christ. He's talked about how we need to hang on to it with everything we've got and what a beautiful blessing it is. Then he gets into that part of it where he says that we must not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. And he goes on to talk about how that is willful sin if we willfully decide to stop assembling with the saints. Verse 26. You've got to remember the larger context of Hebrews. And the larger context of Hebrews is this. Hebrews was written to a people that were about ready to give up. If you read through Hebrews, you'll see that it's, it's, it's encouraging these people. You've got, to, you've got to persist, and you've got to keep going, and you've got to have perseverance, and you can't give up. And in Hebrews 2.1, don't shrink, don't drift away. Don't shrink back. It's written to encourage Christians not to lower the sails, but to keep going, even through the stormy waters of first century Christianity. It is within that context that we find chapter 10 with those elements that I described. And it is near the end of this chapter that we find Hupostello, Hebrews 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. <coughs> Excuse me. And if anyone, here's our word, Hupostellos, if they lower the sails, if they draw back, if they get timid, shrink back, compromise, if anyone draws back, God says, my soul has no pleasure in him. Living by faith. We sing the song, living by faith. Living by faith means learning who God is and what God said and then trusting him enough to do what he said because of who he is. That's faith. Learning who God is 
and what he said and then trusting him enough to do what he said because of who he is. That's faith. That is the kind of faith that makes one pleasing to God. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. That is the kind of faith that separates the righteous from the unrighteous. Hebrews 11, 8. And we see and know and understand from Hebrews 10, 38 and 9, that shrinking back, drawing back, backing down, standing down, becoming timid, hesitating, withdrawing, compromising, or lowering the sails in surrender, instead of tackling troubled waters with the word of God, is not a soul-saving faith. Before I read the final verse of the evening, I want to take time to mention just two things in light of tonight's lesson. Two things. Number one, first off, we need to continue to pray and thank God and show support for our eldership, our leadership. And when I say that, obviously, I'm talking about those who are elders now, but not just those who serve as elders right now, but for those who are in training to be elders later. Heard it said once that those of us who have younger children, back when I had <laughs> younger children, that it is a wonderful thing, I don't remember where I heard it, but, but what a wonderful thing it is to pray as your daughters grow up or your sons grow up to pray for the parents of that one who will become a spouse to your children. You must pray with your eyes forward, and we need to pray absolutely for those who are our elders now. We need to love and support them. Scripture is very clear on this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, Hebrews 13, 17. But not just them, because listen, years go by, things happen, time goes on, if this congregation is here 100 years from now and it has elders 100 years from now, they're probably not going to be the same gentlemen who are elders now. Does that make sense? And so we need to pray for those men and their wives who are elders in training, as it were, right now. Because while we have elders, at some point in time it is going to be necessary to have more elders, different elders. It's a perpetuating thing, just like preachers. You know? So we need to pray for them that none of them ever, no matter what, are going to lower the sails to avoid a storm. But will always stand on the word of God no matter what. We need to pray for them. For men who will always stand firm on the faith once delivered and the truth that sets us free. Second thing. I hope we can all see the obvious tie-in tonight of this lesson as we conclude it, of never lowering the sails or hesitating or being timid when it comes to our mission to talk to people about Jesus Christ. God says, my soul has no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, draws back, lowers the sail. When those opportunities present themselves, when God 
allows somebody who maybe has been praying to know the truth to talk about Jesus and you overhear them where there's a door open, may we always have the courage not to be timid, not to withdraw, not to hesitate, but to step in and tell them what an awesome God we have and why. Final verse of the night, Hebrews 10 and verse 39, the very next verse. The writer of Hebrews says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And do you know what he does next? He goes right into the faith chapter, doesn't he? He talks about this faith where those who believe to the saving of the soul, and what does he do? He launches right into chapter 11. Remember, when that was written, there were no chapter delineations. But his very next line is to start talking about these great men and women of faith who did what? Who stepped out and didn't lower the sails. Did you notice that? Now, we can get into the fact that the ark didn't have sails, but one of the first people he talks about is Noah. What did Noah do? Noah stepped out. He was not timid. He did not hesitate. He did everything the way God told him. What about Abraham? What about Moses? That faith chapter, chapter 11, what sets all of that up is Hebrews 10, 37, 8, and 9, where he says, don't draw back. We're not those who draw back, but we have faith. He says, let me show you what a faith looks like that doesn't draw back. That's what sets up Hebrews 11, and that's what we often don't talk about. We start with verse 1 of Hebrews 11. But that's what sets it up. He says, we're not those who draw back, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Who are we? Not as a congregation, but as individuals. Who are you tonight? Are you one who doesn't draw back? Or do you lower the sails sometimes? If you're here tonight and you're somebody who kind of has been timid in the past or hesitated, you need the strength to, to stand up and keep the sails strong and, and not compromise and to speak up for the Lord. You just need strength to do that. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to help in any way we can. If you're somebody who's here tonight who has not obeyed God to become a child of his through repentance and baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, why? The Bible says we have to do that. And so I encourage you tonight, if you've never done that, don't hesitate. Don't shrink back. Don't stay back. As we rise to sing this song, we'll come forward and let us assist you. If there's any way tonight we can do that, we would love to do so now as we stand and sing. <laughs>